Steve Mickelson and me. I'm Rob, and we already got an email. You can watch us on Rad TV Live at members.radradio.com. Randall wrote in, uh, watching as we were getting ready to go on, and said, "As a San Jose Sharks fan, I just cannot with Steve's Golden Knights swag." Where's Steve? I don't have Steve on the TV. Steve, can you hear, can you hear us? Oh no, what? We just had him. Oh, there we go. Sorry, Steve. You're all <laughs> no. set. All good. There, there he is. Yeah, because I see you before, but we couldn't hear you. All right, Steve. So defend your Golden Knights swag. That's some nice stuff. Uh, you know, I live in Las Vegas. The Golden Knights are originally from Las Vegas. It's a little bit different when a team comes from another area. You know, like the Raiders came from Oakland. So it's a little bit different to fully support them. I am still a Detroit Red Wings fan, but I do support the Golden Knights as well. And they are one of the top teams in the NFL, if not the top team in the NFL. HL. Got off to a great start. And, uh, you know, hockey season has started, so we wanted to give a little love to the Golden Knights. And have you have you been able to go to an actual live game? I have gone to several early on in the franchise's history. I have not gone since COVID. Ticket prices are on the higher end of things but uh, for me the the sport i love watching the best and i'm a huge baseball fan as everyone knows i love watching hockey live in person better than any other sport i'm not a huge fan of hockey on tv because it misses so much there's so much that goes on away from the puck and it's really incredible if you haven't seen a hockey game live an nhl game how fast the game really is because you don't see that on tv that these guys are skating like 20 miles an hour and it's just it's so great to watch it live in person i just haven't been able to the last few years i can't afford to go that is so funny we were just this morning we were we were on the regular rad radio show we were talking about this and that is exactly what i said i said hockey is the sport that is that i that i would want to watch in person as opposed to in my living room every other sport it's better in your living room now for so many reasons including the fans but even the fans at hockey games with as raucous and as rowdy as hockey games are they seem to have the fewest incidents in the in the stands whereas football seems to be the worst because it's almost like everybody is into the vibe that's the other thing about hockey games uh hockey games live are also like i would I, the only other one i would add in there were college football rivalry games live where there's such this energy over like like the uh, the Red River shootout you know when you get uh, Oakland, the Sooners and the Longhorns what an electric environment that is and that's usually at, at hockey games and you are so right uh, hockey on TV is almost headache inducing but live man it you are the first time you go you can't believe how fast they move and then it's just it's it's almost like you're watching a human NASCAR race it is so much fun and as you said the golden knights they came into vegas and they took that town over they took the league over they're one of the most successful um uh, uh, opening franchises or uh, in history in all the sports as i remember absolutely i mean they went to the stanley cup their their first year in the league you know to lose but uh, it's been wonderful and if you actually have the pleasure of getting a game that goes into overtime and you go to the three-on-three rules even though right now they're trying to 
they're discussing, and I hope it doesn't come to be, but putting in a shot clock basically on the three on three. So you can't go back and forth, you know, back across the blue line, the red line, et cetera, and just kind of stall it out. But three on three overtime is incredible. Everyone is on their feet, standing, cheering the entire time. And, uh, you you know, hockey live in person, I I can't say enough great things about it. It is absolutely the best sport to watch live and in person. Uh, You can email us, rad at radradio.com in real time. Uh, And since Randall kind of got us off track here, uh, since we're early on in the hockey season, Steve, is there a team or two that you're already targeting for the Stanley Cup Finals? Well, I've gone into it. I I really think the Golden Knights have a great chance of repeating here. You know, Boston Bruins got off to a great start, which is surprising because you thought they were going to go through a little bit of a rebuild. They're sitting at 12-1-2, best record in the NHL, again, which is a little bit surprising. But you look at the West, the Avalanche, the Stars, the Golden Knights are to me, the three best teams, Vancouver Canucks are playing really well right now, and they have been a surprise so far this season. But to me, I think it's the Stars, Avalanche, and Knights out of the West. And when you roll into the East, you know, as I mentioned, the Bruins, uh, the Rangers, I had high expectations for them going into the season. They've started the season nicely. The, the team that is a little bit surprising. Tampa Bay Lightning, a team we've all come to expect to be there in the end. You know, injury to their goalie early on. They're sitting at six, six, and four. Oof. You know, struggling to this point. They're not the team that we've known in the past. And uh, Edmonton, there's another team. Everybody thought Edmonton would be one of the top teams in the NHL. And, you know, they're down with the San Jose Sharks. And, and it's sad. You know, I know there's a lot of Shark fans out there. Several <laughs> years ago, they were very good but the Sharks have just fallen on tough times. They are like the Oakland A's right now. They have absolutely nothing to root for. Let's go get a draft pick. We got to rebuild, you know, and you, you watch the Knights and it's got to hurt because Aiden Hill was a goalie for the Sharks. They traded him to the Golden Knights for, I think a fourth round draft pick. Aiden Hill leads them to the Stanley cup. And it's like, you know, hey, look, we had that guy. We gave him away for nothing. So tough times for the Sharks. Watching Hockey Live came up uh, on the regular show uh, this morning, Steve, because I was talking about how it, it, I have found myself it, – it's been hard for me to, to, to stay as committed as I used to be to baseball. I do still watch baseball. I always am aware of what's going on in baseball. But there was a time not long ago I was watching baseball every night during the season, at least a game, and I didn't even care who was playing. But the game has just shifted. I did like it better this year uh, because it got quicker, uh, but – in that void over the last few years, it's been filled by more basketball, something that I, I didn't watch. Um, and I mentioned that, that hockey is that way for me n- still because I don't like it on TV. I tune in when the playoffs start. But basketball, I've been enjoying over the last few years, and I've gotten more and more into it. I've never had a basketball team. And, of course, the, the Sacramento Kings have been really struggling. They were great when I first moved to Sacramento 25 years ago. And then we had the infamous Laker game. Uh, and then the Magoof brothers ruined the team intentionally. But they've really come back. They've built the Golden One Center, uh, which is a, a fantastic venue. Uh, and uh, the current owner is really committed to the team, the community. I love Mike Brown uh, as a coach. And it's an exciting time to be a Sacramento Kings fan, especially today for early in the season. Since since the, the, the game of, what was it, 2002, I forget the exact year, against the Lakers, Kings fans will always circle every time they play the Lakers because until the Kings do the same thing to the Lakers that the Lakers did to them, regardless of the involvement of the refs, Kings fans are going to always want to see the Lakers destroyed. So tonight, 
the uh, Kings play in Los Angeles. The game's on at 7 o'clock, and it's on ESPN. Perfect timing. De'Aaron Fox came back on Monday after two weeks of an ankle injury, scored 28. Kings won over the Cavaliers, 132-120. to 120, Gave Coach Mike Brown his uh, his 400th career victory. So, overall, Steve, uh, my, my impression is the Kings were even better than everybody thought last year they would be. They, and we all thought they'd be good, but they went far. And as long as, like everything else, right, healthy, especially Darren Fox, I think they can go really far this year. What do you what do you see for the Kings? I, I would love to agree with you. I, I just can't quite get there. I thought last year the Kings were a wonderful story. They had so much team chemistry with that team. Uh, it was amazing. It was a lot of fun to watch. The fans really backed this this team and and it just shows when you're winning you know the fans will come out so put a quality product on the court you know don't complain about oh we're a small market we can't compete you put a quality product on the court the fans are going to come out as long as you're competitive they're going to watch unless you're the tampa bay rays but you just (laughs) you know the kings are playing better now De'Aaron fox came back in the last game they've won three straight going up against the lakers team lakers are back up to 500 they've won the last three the West, though, is just the, the West is a tough, tough <laughs> conference. I mean, you sit and you look at the teams, the Nuggets. I, I mean, they could easily repeat. The Timberwolves are finally playing good. Dallas seems to have figured it out this year. You know, last year they, they traded for Kyrie Irvin. They kind of went in the tank. This year they're coming back. They're playing well. Phoenix, we're just waiting for that. And, and the part with Phoenix is everyone looks, you know, Kevin Durant, is one of the top players in the NBA, but it seems like everyone keeps forgetting he's getting older. I mean, his window <laughs> is getting smaller and smaller and, and the Suns just, Oh, Kevin Durant, they're going to win. I, I'm curious if Durant's going to look back at his career and said, you know what? I never should have left golden state. I should have stayed there. I could have won how many championship rings I left because I thought I could do it on my own. And we're watching. He's not able to do it. You know, the warriors will still be there. The Clippers had a good second half last night. I don't know if you got a chance to watch that game last night against the Nuggets. Down early, played really well the second half. They've now lost six straight, though. They traded for Harden to bring him in. But the, one of the things with Harden is he doesn't play defense. He had a good game yesterday. I think he was at 21 points. At, uh, I don't know where he finished up. But he doesn't play defense, and you saw it late in the game. Denver took the ball down low. Clippers didn't have anybody to stop the stop Jokic inside, and uh, you know the Nuggets went on I think like an eleven to two run or something like that to win the game. But the West is just so talented. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. It's just I don't think the Kings are quite good enough to advance deep into the playoffs. Uh, the Lakers, by the way, last night, they destroyed Memphis. It was like 132 to 108 or something. So uh, we'll see what happens tonight. Now, Steve, what, what is this? I, I've read it, and, and a lot of people are really excited about it. I'm not saying I, I'm not. I just haven't gone deep into it. What is this in-season tournament the NBA is doing? <laughs> I wish I could fully explain <laughs> it to you. Um, it's their way of trying to drive additional revenue, sell more merchandise. We're seeing different courts there. Uh, they're just picking each team got drawn out of a hat thrown into so there's four teams in your little mini division you're going to play one game against each one they're going to have eight teams that then advance into the in tournament you know in season tournament they win the nba cup what do you get for it 
I'll be honest with you. I don't really know. I don't think it's going to advance you automatically into the playoffs or anything like that, or give you a number one seed. Cause that would be kind of messed up. I play the whole season, but if I had won the tournament, we automatically advance. So I think it's just their marketing way. Soccer does stuff like this, just their marketing way to try to peak interest during the season. Uh, but I have not dug deep enough to even pay a whole lot of attention to it. And, and you know, one of my complaints is take the Kings, you, you know, here's a classic example. They're, they're playing the Lakers tonight. We know this is a huge game and yet they have their in season tournament game tomorrow night. So, you, you know, it's one, it's a back to back, but now you're doing this. So tonight's Kings are playing at the Spurs tomorrow night, a game they should win, but who's to say they're going to be fully focused and all that. So you're having an in-game tournament and you're giving it to a team on a back-to-back night after they play what the Kings would be their biggest rival the night before and have to travel to it. So, you know, you got to get in is the fairness of it. You know, you're not getting the day off beforehand and just, you know, these are the things that I question. This is okay. This is where I think I lost my ability to focus, not interest, but my ability to focus as I was trying to learn about this a couple of weeks ago. A buddy sent me the information. So, how are they picking which games are? So, tonight, the Kings and Lakers are not part of the Kings tournament schedule. How are they picking? No. How, what, what? I believe they sat down, grouped them together, and then looked at the NBA schedule and said, okay, here, this is where. We need to pick our tournament game. They're trying to do them early because it isn't going to be a season-long type of thing. Uh, so they're picking the games early on, and this one happens to be the they're with the Spurs. And, okay, it has to be played in San Antonio, so this is the first time they play in San Antonio. So here we'll make this the in-tournament, you know, the game and and it's just you know if you're a kings fan you got to complain hey whoa hold it a second we're traveling we're playing our rivals and we got to go on the road from a home game and play the next day it just it, it's set up bad for the kings as an example in this and mm-hmm. and i know no matter how you do it it's not going to be fair unless they throw them in a bubble and say here everybody's going to compete at this one location which they can't do but you know, these are some of the questions I asked. So I'm not that excited about the in-tournament, in-season tournament, which is why I haven't researched it all that <laughs> much because to me it's kind of like who cares? You're just taking regular season games, saying these count for something else. And I don't even think the players fully understand what's going on either. And my guess would be what? They get an extra, who knows, five hundred thousand dollars if the team wins it so it's a bonus to their paycheck to keep them motivated but i don't even think the players are really probably taking it very serious i I will withhold judgment and and research it more it sounds gimmicky so far but but we'll see so uh uh, a lot of reason to be excited if you're a kings fan just because they're playing the lakers uh tonight and i think the 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 most excited man in america is uh, probably al michaels because they finally have a legitimate matchup on thursday night football Tonight, you, I, usually the Thursday night games are just turn out to be not only awful because of the short week, but it, they're not even good matchups. We had the Bears and Panthers last week. I mean, who cares? I don't even think Chicago watched that game. But tomorrow we've got uh, the uh, the Cincinnati Bengals at the Baltimore Ravens. But both teams are coming off just devastatingly odd losses. The Ravens uh, this past weekend, who, who they have not been a good fourth quarter team for two seasons now under Coach Harbaugh. They squandered a two-touchdown lead over the last nine minutes. They allowed the Browns to score the game's final 16 points. Browns beat them 33-31 to 
In the seven of their last ten losses, you got to go back to last season, the Ravens have blown two possession leads. They've, I'm sorry, in seven of their last ten losses, the Ravens have blown two possession leads. Sorry, I didn't read that correctly. They've lost nine games since 2021 in which they've taken a seven-plus point lead into the final quarter. Yet, through all that, they are seven and three. Uh, Steve, I have a hard time buying the Ravens as as one of the powerhouse AFC teams. They're good, but they just seem to always not get there. What you're saying is exactly uh, what I agree with there. You would think that the Ravens, two touchdown lead, you know, double-digit lead in the fourth quarter, what do teams do? They run the ball. They run the time off the clock. They find a way to hold on and win. They rely on their defense to hold their opponents. Ravens have one of the best defenses in the league and have for many years. Ravens are, if not the top running team in the NFL, they are one of the top three every year. But yet what makes a team strong in those late games when they have the lead, the Ravens have, and they can't find a way to win. And this is where my knock, I mean, I, I'm, it's hard to knock Lamar Jackson. He is a great quarterback, but this is where my knock to Lamar Jackson goes is if the Ravens get down by double digits, I don't think Lamar Jackson is a good enough quarterback to find a way to bring the Ravens back consistently to win. Like you can see with, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he can be down by 14 and no one panics in any way. But Lamar Jackson also, it seems that in these games, look, you only need to make one or two layup throws. Just move the chains, keep the other team off the field. And he just doesn't seem to be able to make those throws as well to keep their offense, moving the chains to run more time. And these are my knocks with with Lamar Jackson. And, and, you know, it may not be him. It may just be the play calling that they're going to. But we watch it. And then, I, I don't know if you've seen the news, but Deshaun Watson broke a bone in his shoulder last week in the second quarter. So he is now out for the season, but he played the rest of that game, led the Browns to this comeback win. He's had an ankle injury. He hurt it also in that game. He's had a sore rotator cuff. So we watched and really injured Deshaun Watson lead this Browns team, which doesn't have a whole lot of offense back to beat the Ravens, which is just head scratching in itself going, you know, how can that happen? If you had the Ravens as a bet, you were cashing that ticket early in the third quarter, and yet you threw your ticket in the trash. By the way, that's so Cleveland, right? Because the Browns fans, and I know you're a long-suffering Lions fans, they had to be excited after that win. They're not necessarily going to look at it like, like this is all Baltimore collapsing. They don't care. They're high on life. And then sure enough, they find out Deshaun Watson, who they paid a ton of money for, they've barely gotten any use out of because of the suspension. Oh, nope. His season's over. I guess we don't have any reason to have hope this year. <laughs> oh, and, and to take it a step farther, Deshaun Watson, the next three years, his contract is $63.9 million in 24, 25, 26. In a sense, you would say he hasn't now played in a couple of years because he was suspended by the league. He played a little bit last year. He's already missed like three games prior to this out of the nine games they've played. So the guy really hasn't played in two years. And you're going to be paying him $64 million each season for the next three seasons. Incredible. His agent did a wonderful job. Hats off to him. 
But man, Cleveland's got to be looking at that as possibly the worst contract ever handed out. And this year they give up a their they don't have their first round draft pick or their fourth round draft pick because they've given up two draft picks, a first in each year, and then it's been like a second, a third, and this year's a fourth in order to get Deshaun to give him that contract. Just think how good this team would be, just like the 49ers, if they hadn't made that trade, you know, that gave up all their first round picks how good this team would be and how talented they would be if they had those draft picks. And not to get ahead of ourselves or to overly pat my favorite team on the back, but that does speak to how amazing the 49ers front office is, is that they have overcome that to still be one of the best teams in the NFL. Now, uh, the the Bengals, the Bengals Ravens was always going to be a big game. That was when you saw it on the calendar and you went, oh yeah, we're going to be ready for this. But even they admit now, it's a lot more important. Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan said on Monday that it's basically a playoff game as far as they're concerned because the Bengals lost at home to the Houston Texans, who we're going to talk about more later on when we get to their game this weekend, to push the Bengals to 5-4. and four. That's technically right outside of the playoff spot. This is a team that a lot of people, we sloughed them off when Joe Burrow went down, said, oh, just shut down Burrow, just call it a lost season. Burrow comes back, he starts to look amazing. We go, uh-oh. Joe Burrow's healthy. The Bengals look out. They, they, you can wrap your head around for the AFC. And then they pull off this loss. Uh, and the Bengals have already lost to the Ravens in week two uh, when Burrow still had his calf injury. So there's all these tiebreaker things. And tomorrow night's game starts a pivotal stretch for the, stretch for the Bengals. They're going to go back-to-back AFC North opponents, Baltimore tomorrow. And then they're at home next weekend against the Steelers. Um, this is pretty close to make or break for them, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. They lose this game. They drop to five and five. You got to start wondering at that point if they have any shot at making the playoffs. Joe Burrow, though, is amazing. Even sitting at five and four, if you look at power rankings, people still have the Bengals, even though they're last place in their own division, they still have them as like one of the top four or five teams in the AFC because he is that good. But they can't afford to go on the road here and lose to the Ravens. And unfortunately, the Ravens lost last week. So the chances of the Ravens losing two in a row and being a home game is, you know, a little bit more difficult to handle. But the the Ravens blew a lead. It's kind of a must win for them because they're still fighting for home field. They got to win their division. But Deshaun Watson going down really hurts the Browns in any shot. We really can't take the Steelers seriously. And, you know, if we're talking about the Steelers a little bit later, you know, the Steelers have not, they've been outgained by their opponents in every single game this year. And yet the Steelers are still sitting at six and three, which is amazing, which means they have everything but a quality quarterback in Kenny Pickett. But both teams really have to have this win Thursday night, short week on the road. That's tough sledding for the Bengals. By the way, the Steelers, I give full credit to Coach Tomlin. I think he's one of the best in, in the game. Um, for tomorrow night, Steve, so how do you look at that when you're looking at it uh, for, from, a, from a betting standpoint? What's the spread? And and Because the game is in Baltimore, and you're right. It's a must win for both teams. Right now, the, the Bengals, uh, the Ravens are a four-point favorite. The over and under is 46. You know, one of the things I look at in, in games like this is it is a short week. It is a divisional game. Divisional games, I tend to try to look at the under. Uh, where I would like to see the Bengals winning, I'm not sure they can in this spot. The, if the Ravens had won last week, I would like the Bengals in this spot. But the Ravens losing hurts. So to me, I look at the total, and this is a game I'll be looking at playing the game under. Divisional game, they know each other. You got to figure defenses are going to step up. It's just which quarterback's going to make the play late in the game. 
If I had to pick a side, I would lean towards taking the points again in these, what I think are divisional, you know, drop down boxing matches. Here it is. They're going to be throwing haymakers type of thing. And so I would look at the points, but of the two, I like the under a little bit better. I think just think the game will be much more defensive uh, as both teams really have to win this game. We got this email, RAD at radradio.com from Nick. I mentioned that uh, Al Michaels might be the happiest man in America because we've got a great matchup. It might be a terrible game, but it's a great matchup tomorrow night. And Nick wrote in and said, Al Michaels may be my favorite broadcaster of all time. His voice, his presence, everything is so regal, so human and so powerful, but man, he sounds so miserable broadcasting these unwatchable Thursday night games. You can feel how miserable he is. It almost makes me wonder if the NFL actually hates him personally. Obviously kidding, but I, that, that's gone viral, Steve, That uh, back to a couple weeks ago when uh, Al Michaels had to promote. It wasn't the Bears-Panthers. It was another horrible matchup, and you could hear it in his voice. It was almost like he was looking at Kirk Herbstreit going, oh, my God, I can't believe we have to do this tomato can game. And, yeah, the games, because of the short week, often aren't quality. But how does the NFL screw up the matchups other than tomorrow night's game? They're so bad. And the sad part is it's been this way for several years. We haven't really watched a whole lot of good Thursday night games like since they've taken over. If I'm Amazon Prime, I'm asking for a little bit of a refund. <laughs> and look, we, we have to be able to do a little bit better in picking which games go on Thursday night. I know the NFL's goal is to put every team on like one game nationally type of thing versus only having all of the popular teams playing, but come on. I mean, why is it gotta be that all the bad teams, the bears, the Panthers, you know, the Cardinals, etc. These are the teams that get the Thursday night games. It just, as a fan, it's just not fun to watch. I'm glad we have a really good one this week. We have a great Thursday night game. We have a great Monday night game. Oh. But, uh, you know, I feel for Amazon Prime because they're paying a lot of money to, to get some pretty bad games. By the way, Sam, I've got a list going of topics when we get out of the uh, NFL season to, to keep the podcast going and interesting and fun. I mean, obviously, we're still going to talk basketball, hockey, baseball, and stuff. But there's always that, that lull after the Super Bowl before baseball starts. This will be a great one, so we won't get off on the tangent here, but would you at least agree that Al Michaels will be in your top five, top three all-time favorite broadcasters? I think Al Michaels is in my top three, and I, I watched an interview with him, and this shocked me. Um, they were talking to him, and he states that he has not knowingly ever eaten a vegetable <laughs> in his life. Yep. Which is just amazing. And they're like, well, you know, what about carrots? And he's like, no, why would I want to eat a carrot? It doesn't look like, but you don't know what it tastes like. Well, I have no real interest in it. Put a steak in front of me and I'm all over it. By the way, and, and go ahead. I was going to say, and, and you look at him and, and I mean, he looks like he's in great health. You know, he's up there in age and has never knowingly eaten a vegetable which is awesome. A uh, quick plug. Uh, I think it's three, maybe four years ago now, but he wrote he wrote an autobiography. It is an amazing autobiography. It's so fun, and he has a whole chapter on uh, the vegetables as well. Story out of the NFL, or some of the news out of the NFL, also uh, off the field this week, Steve, is that New York Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers says that he could be back from his torn Achilles tendon by mid-December. First, it was going to be out for the season. Then it was, well, if the Jets get to the playoffs, maybe he can come back. He says his potential return to action for the Jets will depend on the team's playoff chances, and he will sit out the remainder of the season if they're out of contention by Christmas. Coach Robert Sala says if the doctors clear him, we'll clear him. Um, first, Steve, before we talk about the Jets and their playoff chances, 
I know we've both soured a little bit on Aaron Rodgers, but that would be pretty impressive if he did pull off coming back that quickly, don't you think? Uh, hats off to him. He has really shown that he wants to return. He wants to play. He has sped this process up amazingly fast uh, to put himself in this position. You know, the last couple of years, I've really soured on Aaron Rodgers and and the various things that's going on and and a lot of the things that he said. But we all know as we age, it's really tough for our bodies to recover like they used to when you were younger. And, and he is doing this at an astronomical pace that's going to allow him to possibly play this year. That That's a tribute to him and all of his research, looking at what he needs to do and and making it happen. You know, I saw an interview with him yesterday or the day before, and he talked about, look, this is my job. My job is to rehab. I want to get back, and I have to view this as this is my job. A lot of us wouldn't have that dedication, but he obviously does, and, and it is amazing to see where he's at in this recovery. And, and I wish him the best. My my downside is is I don't think the Jets are going to be in it, so I'm hoping that this doesn't go for nothing. But uh, I think a lot of people are going to be looking at his recovery and what he did to put himself in this position for such a speedy recovery. And we're going to be looking at that from others going forward who have the same kind of injury. And I, and and it might get lost because he says he'll be ready. He hopes to be ready in a month from now. But why play if your team's out of, con- out of contention? The Jets have done better than a lot of us thought they would. Uh, certainly after the first couple weekends we had to deal with uh, uh, Zach, what's his name? Uh, and uh, now, Steve, they're four and five. They play Buffalo this weekend. Then they host Miami, Atlanta, and Houston. That's going to be tough to keep them in contention for the middle of December, or is it? I think it's going to be tough. I don't see them being in playoff contention. Actually watching the Aaron Rodgers interview, I'm hoping they are because I want to see him come back and play. And again, I'm not a big Aaron Rodgers fan, but I'm actually rooting for him with his recovery to see him get back on the field and for him to be able to show people, look, I've worked this hard. I've made it to where I can come back and play and play at a top level. That would be a wonderful story. I'm just not sold the Jets offense can put enough points on the board to win. Their loss last week to the Raiders was devastating. They had a team only meeting. I think it was yesterday, which just shows, you know, the players are frustrated and, you know, Robert Sala has no choice but to back Zach Wilson. Look, he's my guy. He can make this happen. If he came out and said what he really thinks, what the rest of us think, you know, the Jets season would be over because, look, Zach Wilson's really not that good. He's not going to lead us to many victories. But he can't do that because he has no better option. So you have to support him, have to hope that you can put him in a position to win. And their defense is good enough to put him in that position to win, just like Cleveland. But I just don't think Zach Wilson's good enough. Now, this weekend, as I mentioned, the Jets have to go through the Bills, who seem to be kind of a mess. Uh, they, uh, they, they, they let the Broncos come back and beat them 24-22 this past weekend. Then they fired their offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey, yesterday, less than 24 hours later. That was Monday night football game. Uh, yes, Josh Allen does lead the NFL with 19 touchdowns, but he also has a league-worst 11 interceptions and 13 turnovers, had two interceptions and a fumble on Monday night. And this has been the focus again uh, with Josh Allen is he can't control the football. First of all, I don't know that firing the offensive coordinator is the answer. I think he's been there like as the quarterback's coach since 2019. Secondly, the Bills are another team 
that I have lost a lot of faith in. The Bills are a team that can beat any team on any given Sunday, but the Bills are also a team that can lose to any team in the NFL <laughs> on any given Sunday. It, it's incredible to try to figure out which Bills team is going to show up. Ken Dorsey, the offensive coordinator, getting fired. I, I think that just happened to be, look, we have to make it something bigger. To me, watching the end of that game and the 12 men on the field for the field goal, don't oh. they have a coach that sits up there and counts the players to ensure that they have the proper amount of players on the field? I mean, there's got to be some accountability there. And and that same person is probably the one who watches the replays and and calls down and says, hey, you need to challenge that play. But if you fire him, everyone's going to say, well, who's this guy? We don't even know who this guy is. So you got to make a statement. You got to take somebody out in a powerful position. That's where I think Ken Dorsey, but I don't think it's Ken Dorsey's fault because the offense hasn't been an issue. And the offensive coordinator doesn't dictate the interceptions, the the throws that Josh Daniels, I mean, Josh Allen goes off script and makes some really questionable throws. Not all of them are his fault. You know, he doesn't control the fumble. What cook on the first play, boom, fumble Broncos ball. Here we go. That's got nothing to do with the offensive coordinator, but I think they needed a fall guy. It had to be somebody outside of, and I'd love to see if the guy who watches to make sure you have 11 men on the field, he should have been fired, but he's probably not in a high enough position for even to get announced. But the bills, every you look at it. And if I told you all these things they did wrong, you would say, Oh, they got blown out. They were in a position and should have won that game. Still, even with, everything going wrong and they did as much wrong as you can do in a game and by rights they still should have won that game so do you give the the jets a fighting chance this weekend the bills are in buffalo and it's usually with these things one of two things they rebound and they 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 come back this is any football team or they're in a they're in a malaise they're in a morass and they just continue to struggle and something surprising like the, the jets of all teams clearly not at the same level of the bills talent wise comes in and beats them where do you see sunday going if the Bills' defense can really wreak havoc on the offense of the Bills, I think they can stay in. I still think the Bills are a better team. They do have their issues. You know, we talked about on Monday that look for the Broncos to run the ball up the middle. The The Bills' defense is not that strong. And if you run the ball right at them, they really struggle with that. Jets have Brees Hall there, so you got to figure they're going to go with the same thing. Slow the game down. Hopefully they can get enough first downs to keep Josh Allen on the sideline. And then when Allen is playing, hopefully the defense can make enough big plays and pressure him enough into a few of those mistakes, create a couple of turnovers, give him a shot. But that's a lot of big ifs and asks from that defense. And Zach Wilson's got to play clean football. So I look for the Bills to win the game. I'm just not sure they can cover so what this was, what is was a game spread? I would stay away from because the Bills are a seven-point favorite in this Oof. game. Oof. And if I'm the Jets, you know, my goal here is make it 13-10. Give me a shot. Keep me within a touchdown that maybe late in the game I have the ball. I can find a way to score to win, you know, but I don't have high hopes. The Jets couldn't beat the Raiders, you know, on Sunday night. So if you're not beating the Raiders in Las Vegas, <laughs> are you really beating the Bills in Buffalo? Um, so you mentioned, uh, rightfully so, tomorrow night, marquee matchup, uh, Bengals and Ravens, Monday night. Man, Eagles-Chiefs, that's a good one. But Sunday night, and I wasn't even going to mention the Sunday night game, really. We can't do every single game. 
uh, it's not a it's not a sexy matchup, but both we mentioned the Broncos are the ones that beat the Bills this last weekend. The Broncos, who we all pronounce dead because Sean Payton seems to hate Russell Wilson, or we don't know what's really going on there, um, and yet they've they've rebounded and they're playing. They're hosting the Vikings, who. This uh, this Joshua Dobbs kid has come out of nowhere for the Vikings and seems like potentially their their quarterback of the future. The Vikings are hanging on. This actually has some compelling uh, aspects to it for football fans. Yeah, you rolled this about three four weeks ago. When you were looking <laughs> at this, going, "Oh, what an awful Monday night game." Let's go make plans, go out to dinner, go to the movies, something because I have zero interest in watching it. But the Vikings, you know, Kirk Cousins goes down for the season. Their wide receiver, Justin Jefferson, who's arguably the best wide receiver in the game, he's been out the last several weeks. They bring in Josh Dobbs, and everyone's like, why are they trading for a quarterback? They're not even in the playoff hunt. What's going on here? He's 2-0 and with them. It, it, it's amazing. Cleveland's got to be wishing they still had him on the <laughs> roster. They let him go. They thought about trading for him. But Josh Dobbs, just no respect. He's not an elite quarterback, but man, for him to step into a new system, not even know the playbook, and be able to lead this team to two wins already has got Viking fans fired up. And, and it's a great story because he really is a nobody. You know, nobody expected anything from him. But if you roll it back, yeah, the Cardinals gave him up because Kyler Murray was coming back, so they got something for him. But Early out of the season, one, he beat the Cowboys. So you got to give him credit there. And we were joking about it because they would be beating teams at halftime like every single week. And then like the message would come in, okay, hey, look, we want to be in the Caleb Williams. So we got to slow down the offense and then everything would fall apart. But he kept the Cardinals, who are arguably one of the worst teams in the NFL, in games and was leading at halftime for many of those games early on in the season. And they have not a whole lot of talent there. Josh Dobbs can play, and it's a lot of fun. You know, going to the Broncos, their defense was awful, but their defense has actually played well the last few few weeks. They have a new defensive coordinator. I, I think they were trying to figure out what they're supposed to do, you know, what their assignments were, and get used to that new defensive scheme. They had a good defense, but they really weren't used to the style the new defensive coordinator had. Russell Wilson's played good. I, I'm, I don't think he's an elite quarterback anymore, but Russell Wilson hasn't been the problem with the Broncos. It's been their defense. And now that their defense is playing good, we're seeing the Broncos start winning games. They should not have beaten the Bills. But you know what? A win's a win. Take it and that, go from there. That Josh Dobbs story, by the way, his very first game is such a great story. That wasn't an exaggeration by Steve, is that he literally didn't know anything about the playbook, didn't have time to practice at all. And if you've seen the documentary series on Netflix, Quarterback, you see how much work these guys put into preparing for each game. And these are guys that are on the team that know the playbook. And that was a fantastic uh, story. We're going to circle back to the NFL in a little bit. There's a couple of other big off-the-field stories. Texas A&M fired Jimbo Fisher, said the program was stuck in neutral. He went to College Station after uh, the Florida State BCS National Championship in 2013, led the Aggies to the Orange Bowl in a 9-1 and record in 2020, and that got him the big old guaranteed contract through 2031. Last three seasons, underachieved, 5-7 and seven, uh, the last year, which is his first losing record as a college head coach. They are 6-4 uh, and four this year, the Aggies are. They lost all three of their games against ranked opponents. Uh, and so they fired Jimbo Fisher at 45-25 and 25 over six seasons. So let's start first with the merits of it. Is that a warranted firing? It's been 
in the works for at least a year and a half that I'm aware of, if if not longer. You know, and this is one of those things you look at it and I fall into the, look, you have a contract, you need to play your contract out, worry about it then, don't be renegotiating all the different times and capitalizing on things. But man, Jimbo Fisher's agent did a wonderful job here, gave him this huge gun. His buyout is 74, 75 million, just we're going to pay 75 million for you not to coach our team. That is incredible. I think last year, all the coaching buyouts in all of college football, I think totaled 90 million and they're going to give this one guy 75 million himself. But you know what? When you have the leverage and you're in that position, I don't blame Jimbo Fisher for forcing A&M to give him that contract. I blame A&M for giving him <laughs> that contract. That's on the school, not him. So good for him. But I was not a fan of him when he was the heir apparent with Florida State for Bobby Bowden. He's gonna he's been on the sidelines. He's gonna take over Florida State. I've never ever felt that he was as good as all the credit he gets. And oh, he's gonna be one of the top college football coaches. To me, he's average at best. So, you know, AM, I think their expectations are a little bit higher than they should be. But uh, you know, that program has money, they have high expectations. Let them go get a coach, and I'm curious to see who they're going to hire. Which brings us to Fisher might not be a very good coach, but he and maybe the allure of A&M uh, certainly was pretty good at recruiting. Since 2019, A&M has signed 70 of the top 300 players by ESPN's rankings. That's the fourth most behind three teams who have all at least played in a national championship game in the last three years, Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. They had the number one recruiting class in 2022. So the question becomes, the right coach is going to walk into a lot of talent. And of course... Of course, right away, Deion Sanders is mentioned uh, because not only could he walk into all his talent, he is the expert when it comes to the portal. Um, I don't see it happening, Steve. Dion says it won't happen, although the way he says it is very mysterious, kind of like his 60 Minutes interview that leaves him an opening. Um, I don't know if it's a good fit. I don't know if you like it. I don't know if it will happen, but who does uh, take over uh, for uh, A&M? I've heard Oregon's Dan Lanning and Washington's Kalen DeBoer are on the top of the list. You got any thoughts? Uh, the one I've heard was Oregon's coach going to AM. They have a lot of talent. And the part that, you know, you kind of hint, hinted towards with that, they have deep pockets. And with the <laughs> NIL now, I mean, these players can make huge money playing college football for AM that they couldn't do in the past. And you got to know the boosters. I'm not paying this money to watch our team go six and four. You know, oh, hey, we make it to the point settable. You know, you want to be fighting for a national championship. So whoever goes there is going to be under high pressure from the get-go. You have to be a national contending team almost immediately. You're not going to get three years to build your program. So whoever goes in there had better hit the ground running. There's the talk of the Deion Sanders, but I don't think Sanders going anywhere without his son. So Shadour would have to be transferring to, you know, Texas A&M to go play for them. I don't think he's in that position at this point you know who knows what it is but i don't see Dion going anywhere without his son so i think it's gonna be really interesting to see where they go and who's willing to take that job a lot of money but the, the pressure of that head coaching job you know that's like walking into notre dame which has really high 
you know, unachievable expectations for their program too, because they also feel they should be a national contender every year and they just can't get the student athletes. They can't get the players like they used to be able to get. So they're never going to be in that Alabama mold, even though their fans think they should be. And, and I think A&M's in that same spot. The uh, transfer portal opens on December 4th, and the uh, uh, athletic director of uh, Texas A&M says by then they'll have made a coaching decision for obvious reasons. The other big off-the-field story in college, Steve, has been going on for the last two weeks, really. Uh, Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh was suspended uh, as a punishment against the football program for violating the league's sportsmanship policy. A lot of us feel the, the, the rule is stupid, but you have to follow the rules. I mean, stealing signs is part of sports, but that's kind of the very short version. Uh, and uh, 48 hours from now, Harbaugh will be attending a court hearing where they're trying to get a court to grant a restraining order because Harbaugh can't coach on the field. He can coach during the week, uh, but he can't coach on the field. I, I wonder, Steve, I've heard a lot of uh, rumbling about this. Is this the end of Jim Harbaugh in college and he's coming back to the NFL? Uh, I do think there's a strong possibility of that. Um, they were working on a contract for Jim Harbaugh. I'm not sure if they fully reached an agreement, but they put that on hold right now. The, the problem I have, and, and I'm a Michigan fan, <laughs> you know, so I'm not going to hide this, but to me, it's a lot more, we're going to hand out a punishment. It's unprecedented. I, I mean, we've never seen this, um, but it's like the big 10 to me is overreacting too soon. Let the process play out. Let's find out what it is. They've confiscated all of his phones, his laptops, all of his communications. But you're hurting the players also. I mean, we watched last week. He's not on the sideline. Michigan ran the ball. I think their last 32 plays of the game, they ran it at Penn State. That's got nothing to do with sign stealing. That's saying, look, we're better than you. I don't even have to throw a pass. I'm in your stadium, and I'm going to run the ball every play right at you, and we're still going to win this game. And and that's what they did. I just, to me, I would have liked to seen the process play out a little bit longer. I think the Big Ten was hoping that they would lose last week to Penn State, and this would all go away and see, see here they have no shot. But but now my fear is is okay. So let's say that they get it. You know, they get it lifted, and then all of a sudden they then come out with another ruling, and now what? Michigan gets suspended during the playoffs. If they're one of the four teams that they beat Ohio State, they beat Ohio State the last game of the season. They're probably the number one seed in the college playoff rankings. So you're the number one seed, and, oh, okay, let's go suspend him now. Let's hurt the program and, and, and everything else. We watch it all the time. The, the NCAA and these conferences – hit the coaches the following year. They postpone it. They don't want to interrupt the season. Why are they setting the precedent right now? And we're going to do it during the season. And my other question is, do you really believe no other team in college? To this extent, don't, don't get me wrong. It, it's in violation. If everything they say is actually true, it is absolutely in violation and should not have happened. But you're going to tell me that every team in college football, no one else is stealing signs. I mean, this falls back to the baseball thing with the Houston Astros. Yes, but were the Houston Astros the only team? They were the team that got caught here. If it all holds true, Michigan was the team that got caught, but to think they're the only one. And, and again, my bitch goes to doing this during the season. That That's an 
that's a precedent right in itself by the conference. We're going to take you down right now. So I agree with Harbaugh with the, hey, look, Michigan, let's become America's team. They're doing everything we can to stop the Michigan Wolverines. I hope they win the national championship, <laughs> not just because I'm a Michigan fan, but because they're setting new groundwork here that they've never done to any team punished to this extent during the season at the end of the season, when it's the most important, we're going to take those steps and we're going to make it happen. I hope it backfires. The primary rumor is that however the, the season ends for Harbaugh, he winds up back in the NFL as the coach of his former team, the Bears. We're way ahead of ourselves on that. This weekend, uh, the big games that stand out, the ranked-on-ranked -ranked matches in uh, college football, 18 Utah against 21 Arizona, number two Georgia's at number 13 Tennessee, the one I'm looking forward to, Steve, on uh, Saturday afternoon, number five Washington at Oregon State. Which one of those uh, are you most excited about? I agree with you because you're looking at undefeated Washington State going at into Oregon State. Oregon State's a two-point favorite here. This is one of those when you look at the game and you look at the line and say, hmm, what's going on here? Washington's undefeated. They haven't lost a game all year, and yet they're a dog. So I expect the public to be all over Washington in this game. But I'm telling you, when you look at a line and it looks wrong, the odds makers are usually right in this game. And it's tough to go on the road in the Pac-12 and win games on the road. Oregon State is an 8-2 and two team. They're ranked 11 in the country. I would not wager on this game. This is a game I want to sit back and watch. I think this is the best game on Saturday. But just be leery of that point spread because there's a reason Oregon State is favored, even though Washington is ranked higher and undefeated on the season. Now, uh, uh, with uh, the uh, USC Trojans uh, losing to the Oregon Ducks, uh, 36, 27, that was their fourth loss in the last five games. They're, they're done for uh, the national championship season. But in that game, there were 13 NFL team scouts. Almost half the league were there to watch Caleb Williams and Oregon's Bo Nix, two of the premier picks, we think, in the quarterback class coming up in, in the draft. A lot of people are souring uh, on, and, and by people, I mean media people, uh, publicly anyways, on, on Caleb Williams. And, and it, I, I don't know exactly why. Do you still think he is the premier pick? I think he's the number one pick in the entire draft. You know, there's talk of Bo Nix going in the first round. Personally, I think if a team takes Bo Nix in the first round, they're going to be making a mistake here. But it's it's not Caleb Williams's fault if, you know, the defense for USC is awful. That's not his fault. And to give you an idea, if you look at it, USC has given up in their 11 games 381 points in 11 games. <laughs> UCLA, who's got one of the better defenses in the Pac-12, has given up 164 points. SC has given up in one more game 217 more points allowed than UCLA in one game. I, I mean, that's amazing how bad USC's defense is. That's not Caleb Williams's fault. He has talent. He will be the number one pick. SC's just got to figure out how to fix this defense because they were terrible last year as well. Now, you mentioned earlier that when this season started, everybody, including us, we were talking about the Arizona Cardinals. They're going to tank. They want Caleb Williams. 
and uh, their quarterback, Kyler Murray, was hurt. And then this last weekend, he played his first game since tearing his ACL a year ago, orchestrates a 70-yard drive capped by one of the last-minute field goal wins. There were six of those uh, in this weekend. So currently, the Cardinals have the fourth pick. And so we start to look at things are getting screwed up because, well, Kyler Murray, who they put a ton of money into, uh, are the the Cardinals have a quarterback issue here now again because now you've got Kyler Murray back. They're not they don't have the number one pick. There's still you think five or four or five first round uh, uh, picks uh, in the in the draft this year. So what where are the Cardinals now? I find this story to be very amusing. I agree, but if you watch the game, Kyler Murray did what he does best. He scrambled around. He was able to outrun the defenders, make some plays. But do you really believe that Kyler Murray now, drew to this injury, has figured out, I'm going to start studying now. I'm going to start watching film. I'm going to start taking my job seriously. He already has all the money in the bank. I don't think he's changing anything. If I'm the Cardinals, the only thing I'm a little bit upset with is that he went out and he won the game, but I have confidence that he's not going to continue to win week after week because he doesn't put in the work. He's not dedicated to the profession and it, it hurts in the sense that maybe they get the fourth, fifth, sixth draft pick now, but I don't think Kyler Murray's changed anything. This is one of the reasons watching that game that we all love to watch him play because he can do things other quarterbacks can't do, but he's not an elite quarterback, never will be an elite quarterback because he doesn't care about the job like he should. And if you're making millions of dollars, you should be dedicated, you know, 365 days. This should be your life, and it's not for Kyler Murray. So this weekend, it's such a fascinating matchup. The Arizona Cardinals, they're at the Houston Texans. We have been talking about how surprising the Houston Texans are. D'Amico Ryans, the head coach, uh, formerly of the 49ers, seems to have found magic in a bottle. And C.J. Stroud uh, as their quarterback. Mike Martz, remember Mike Martz, uh, you know, the greatest show on turf. He literally wrote an article saying Houston Texans C.J. Stroud is the best rookie quarterback ever. I don't know if that's an overstatement, but I know you and I were both really impressed. Yeah, I, I didn't have huge expectations for CJ coming out of college this season, but man, he he has been phenomenal. The, the, and I compare him to Joe Burrow. You, you know, Joe Burrow's rookie season by week three, the Bengals weren't doing anything, but you could just see he was special. He had something, and CJ Stroud, the same thing. This team has no real talent on the Texans. I, I mean, if he's not there, they probably don't win a game. And I believe they're five and four right now. They're in the playoff hunt. They have a shot, you know, to like win that division. And it's all because of CJ Stroud. He, he, he doesn't have wide receivers. His doesn't really have a strong running game. His running back has been hurt the last several weeks. So he hasn't been fully healthy and yet they still find a way to win it, it it's fun to watch he he is quickly moving up my board for quarterbacks i love to watch play <laughs> and it surprises me because i did not have those expectations for him going into the season but you know i'm not going to tell mike march he's wrong i i don't think cj stroud should win most valuable player the mvp and i'm not even saying he should but man if your definition of an mvp is a player that single-handedly leads their teams to numerous wins and without him, they would not do anything. You got to consider him because I'm not sure they win a game at this point 
so he's already won four or five more games than I would have thought he would have. And I believe the Texans, if they didn't have him, so you would have to throw him in that conversation. He's never going to be, and I wouldn't vote for him, but what he has done for his team and he has given them that confidence and he is clearly the best player on that team. Hats off to the Texans, D'Amico Ryan and uh, CJ Stroud has been phenomenal as a rookie. Would you at least give him the rookie of the year at this point? I don't think there's anything close. <laughs> I, to, to me, he is the rookie of the year. I, I'm not even considering anyone else because, again, he's playing the hardest position in quarterback, you know, taking a bad team that doesn't have talent and making them competitive. That in itself is amazing that the job that he has done with that team. And, and, and you got to give D'Amico Ryan a lot of credit too. You know, he's the head coach who's taken this team over with not a lot of talent. Hopefully, and I'm I'm excited to see where their future can go with them. If they can get some some quality players around CJ, how good he could actually be. And so they're hosting the Arizona Cardinals. Now the Cardinals do have Kyler Murray back. Do, 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 I think we both agree the Cardinals are outmatched here, but do you give them any sort of hope uh, this weekend? The Cardinals, no, not really. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just not sold that the Cardinals, right now the Texans are a five-point favorite. I just, I've watched too much of Kyler Murray. I, I think he's like a magic act. He, he can get by on physical talent, but when he's not able to do that, I don't think he's ever going to lead you to win. And and the Texans have shown time and time again against good teams like the Bengals going into Cincinnati and winning on the road. I, I just, I don't think the Texans are overlooking the Cardinals. I just think they may not have, I think they match up with talent, actually. I just think D'Amico Ryan, C.J. Stroud will have the game plan. They'll move the ball. I expect the Texans to win this game easily. So we were talking about how the Cardinals, uh, everybody's expecting them to tank uh, at the beginning of the season. They currently, they're not great. They have the fourth pick uh, right now for the 2024 uh, draft. Then you've got a very interesting situation with the Chicago Bears. Right now, they have the number one pick. Not because they're the worst team in the NFL, but because they own Carolina's pick and then they also have the fifth pick they have two of the top five picks uh, i believe they have the number two right now oh do they okay I believe they're sitting at one and two right now okay they i have okay. justin fields who they're bringing back he's going to be starting this week against the lions because they have to figure out if justin fields is going to be their quarterback going forward or if they need to look at a caleb williams and then who knows what they do with the second pick or you know, hey, look, we're going to save on bonus money. We're going to pick Caleb second because we don't have to pay him as much. And we'll go with someone else who we can get for cheaper. But they got to evaluate Justin Fields. And what a great situation to be in if this is the case. Because if you decide you're not going with Justin Fields, I'd like to believe that one of the teams in the NFL would be willing to trade their first-round pick for a Justin Fields because he also has shown a lot of talent and can play the game he just needs to get in a system that works. The Bears system early on in the season was not set up for him. They wanted him as a pocket quarterback, didn't want design runs, didn't want to let him go. If I'm the Bears, I'm letting him go. Look, Justin, he's the only talent on that field. He's got nothing around him. I feel bad for him, but look, let's play to his strengths. Let's try to use him the way that he plays his best football. Some design runs allow him to go not keep him 
in the pocket and trying to make him a pocket quarterback because that's just not him. So uh, we had a, an email here from Sid who said, ask Steve if the Bears should start Justin Fields against one of the best defenses after coming off having a dislocated thumb. Uh, absolutely. And I'm the jury to me is still out on the Lions defense. We watch, yes, they escaped with the win last week against the Chargers and Dan Campbell, fourth and two, we could try a really long field goal. Heck with it. Let's go for it because we can't give the ball back to the Chargers because the Chargers have scored a touchdown on their last five possessions. Think about that. The Chargers lost and they scored a touchdown on their last five possessions. <laughs> That's 35 points in itself. Most teams don't lose when you put 35 up. They did it in five drives. Still find a way to lose. To me, Brandon Staley should be fired, but it just shows how good Justin Herbert is. And again, it's not Herbert's fault. It's that defense's fault. But Detroit's defense, to me, is still suspect. They are much improved from being the second worst defense in the NFL last year. But I don't I don't think they're elite. And I think the Bears need to play them. They need to find out what they're going to have. They might have the number one pick. And you don't want to go Caleb Williams if you feel Justin Fields is your future. So you have to play Fields to get an idea. Is he your future? And if he's not, you still want to showcase him, show he's healthy and he's worth the number one draft pick so that you can trade him to get more help on your team to go with a Caleb Williams if that's the route you're going to go. I thought of you yesterday when uh, Sports Illustrated released their uh, Week 10 power rankings as a long-suffering Detroit Lions fan who rarely lets himself get his hopes up. Would you agree at least with SI that the Lions, I know you said you don't think their defense is elite, but they've got the Lions in the top five of the league. You think they're one of the top five best teams in the NFL right now? I'm not sure I'm quite ready to put them quite there. I still think the 49ers are better. I think the Eagles are better. I don't believe the Cowboys are better. And I know there's a lot of Cowboy fans out there who are probably going to get on me for that statement. I think the Chiefs are better. Uh, Those are the three. That's who SI has the Eagles, the Niners, the Chiefs in that order, and then the Lions. They thought the Ravens were behind them and the Bengals were behind them. I don't think the Ravens are behind them because we watched the two teams play and the Ravens absolutely destroyed the Lions. Um I think the Lions can play physical enough with the Dolphins to stand. So I have the Lions probably right in that five, six range. I don't know if I drop them down to seven, but I think they are a serious contender. I, I love what their coach does and Dan Campbell. Um, you, you know, he makes some decisions, but the players absolutely love him. I think their offense is really creative and they have a lot of weapons there. I'm just not sure their secondary is good enough and elite enough to compete with the 49ers, the Eagles, you know, and the Kansas City Chiefs in order to be able to beat those type of teams. I'm curious with the Lions at home and the Bears being so bad, how much are the Lions favored by this weekend? Uh, the Lions are down to nine right now. They opened as 11-point favorites. It's down to nine with Justin Fields. But again, I feel for Fields because you watch his games and it's like him versus the world. He's the only guy really with talent on that team and he's got to do everything. And that's just asking too much from a quarterback, especially coming back from injury. You know, he had that thumb injury, so I'm not sure how effective he will be and accurate. He will be, you know, throwing the ball. But uh, I like watching Justin Fields. I think he's talented. I think he can, is one of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL I just, the Bears got to find out 
what if they want him and if they don't they have to make him look good enough to get value for him so between fields coming off the injury and, and but your lack of total confidence in the lions defense how do you feel about could the lions cover that spread because outside looking in i'm like wow I, that has some potential uh it, it's a big number it, it's a division <laughs> game yeah. and again division games i tend to lean towards taking the points especially when you're going to get a good amount you got to throw out the games of like the Giants at the Cowboys, you, you know, stuff like that. Just look, the Giants are so bad. They're, they're not going to compete. But Justin Fields, if this was, you know, Bajan quarterbacking for the Bears, I would be, you know, this game would be 11 and I'd be leaning more towards the Lions. But Justin Fields with just his ability to at-lib in the pocket and make things happen, I think the Bears could possibly keep it close. It's not a game I'm looking at playing because of the big number. And again, I would lean towards taking the points. But do I really want to bet my hard-earned cash on the Bears, hoping that maybe <laughs> I can cover? Because I don't think they can win the game. But do I really want to take them to to cover? That that's not where I'm looking to make a bet. So uh, you talked about you've you've been on the uh, fire Brandon Staley trade for a while uh, with the uh, with the Chargers, and uh, they are they're playing the Packers. Uh, as we kind of continue to look at, you know, who has various picks in the uh, the 2024 uh, draft, uh, the Packers on my list right now, that looks like they're sixth if, if this season were to end right now. And the reason I bring that up is people do not seem, including the general manager of the Packers, to have a lot of a lot of confidence in Jordan Love, who was supposed to be the heir and parent. But the, the GM was asked about it a couple weeks ago, and he did not in any way go all in uh, on on Jordan Love. I, I don't do you think the Packers are already looking past him? I think they have to be. I have so many questions going on with this Packers team and, and Jordan Love. But to me, this is a must win for the Chargers. I, I think Brandon Staley's playing for his job. They go into Green Bay, and Green Bay's a tough place to go into, and they lay an egg and they get beat by the Packers. I think Brandon Staley's out of a job. You know, right now the Chargers are by three. This is one of the games I do like. I like the Chargers here because I think they're going to go into Green Bay. I think Staley's playing for his job and they have to find a way to win. Now, the Jordan Love thing, you know, they signed him to another contract two years, so he has this year and he has next year to prove that he's the quarterback. The thing that amazes me, and I said this early on in the season, I really felt that the Green Bay Packers needed to find out what they had in Jordan Love, and I watched game after game and they continue to call a conservative game. They don't allow him to open it up. They haven't opened up the offense yet. He can at times make some incredible throws that you sit and you're like, wow, five or six quarterbacks in the entire NFL can make that throw. The problem is all the layups and all the easy throws that he needs to make, he can't make them. He is one of the worst accurate quarterbacks in the NFL. And you just sit back and look at him going, oh my gosh, I can make that throw. And yet he can't. So at times he looks unbelievably gifted, but most of the time he just doesn't look good. And if you're the Packers and you're trying to evaluate him, don't you want to see what you get? Don't you want to see him open up the offense? Let's go. We're not going to make the playoffs. We're not very good, but we have to be able to evaluate him. And the fact the Packers haven't allowed him to do that tells me he's not even good in practice. So, so why would you go there if 
He's just not even good in practice either. I, I, I really do think that the, the GM's comments are very telling. To, to have such a lack of confidence publicly, I think that, yes, that's where they're headed already. Uh, teams that are uh, taking a break this weekend, bi-week teams include the Saints, the Falcons, the Colts, and the team that really needs it. How the mighty have fallen. The New England Patriots, what a mess. You called the Raiders a dumpster fire at the beginning of the season. I'm not sure that's not on the, the head of the Patriots at this point. They're benching Mac Jones for the second time. They did so against the Colts last Sunday uh, towards the end of the game. After that loss, head coach Bill Belichick hinted that he might be staying on the sideline. No announcement yet. They are 2-8. and eight. The, the New England Patriots, coached by Bill Belichick, are 2-8. and eight. Worst record in the AFC. You were one of the first to say this could be it for Belichick. You've always said they won't just fire him. They'll 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 ask him to politely leave kind of thing. Although there is some scuttlebutt out there that um that Belichick specifically would not want to be fired uh, or would want to be fired rather because he's still under contract. He could be traded cuz these rumors are nuts now, Steve. You were you were one of the first. Now everybody's talking about will he go? Where will he go? etc. I it's hard at this point to imagine that next year the Patriots are starting their season with Bill Belichick as the head coach with what we're watching now if I'm Kraft the first thing I'm doing is I'm going to Bill Belichick and saying look you've done a wonderful job we respect everything you've done it, it has been a wonderful reign but at this point in your career I'm going to remove your general manager tag from you we will still allow you to be our head coach mm. but I think you've missed enough in the draft to show that right now we need to get someone who can specialize in the draft, player evaluation, and these decisions. I think it's just too much for you. And I would remove the general manager tag. I'm not sure that Belichick will go for that, at which point, then at that point, he says, no, I'm not going to do it. Now we have our ability to walk away, go in different directions. There's rumors that the Washington commanders mm -hmm. – New ownership wants to come in and they want to trade for Belichick, allow Belichick to take over that franchise and move them in the right direction. I just, I think there's enough now watching this because this Patriots team has no talent. They, they really don't. Mac Jones got benched last week. They have a shot. They're on the 13 yard line, minute 52 to go. Here it is. Patriots can drive down, win this game, and Mac Jones, their starting quarterback, is on the bench. They bring in Zappi. That right there says Belichick doesn't even want to see Mac Jones. If I'm going to bench you, at the we got one drive to win, and I don't even want to see you because you had the ball and you threw a horrible interception in the prior drive to put us in this position where if you had not made that throw, maybe we can score on the next play, a touchdown, win the game, but you made such a bad decision. I don't want to see you. So I, I believe that Mac Jones is done for the season and is probably done as a Patriot. If Belichick comes back, but Belichick deserves to walk out on his terms. So that's where I would tell him, look, you're not going to be our GM. And you can be our head coach and allow him to decide how he wants to continue. Of course, all, all the all the it was it Brady was it Belichick things are, are, are back. And, and regardless of how, where everybody falls on that, if Belichick wants to coach again, he'll get a job. And the other rumor, yes, I've seen the commanders. I've also seen multiple reports of two other teams, the Chargers get rid of Brandon Staley and, and, and have him take over the Chargers. And the one that's so sexy and I know you will never believe it's going to happen for all the reasons we've talked about is because it's the splashy hire. 
is the Dallas Cowboys. But as you have talked about before, Jerry Jones will never let Bill Belichick be Bill Belichick to the level he wants to be. So I know you don't believe that one at all, do you? No, not not at all, because Belichick has to have complete control, and Jerry Jones will never allow that. So, so that would never happen. You watch Jerry Jones try it with Bill Parcells. Bill Parcells started building that team again, became a legitimate Super Bowl contender, and, and they couldn't coexist, so Parcells had to leave. I'm going to throw one out at you, which I think would be incredible. I don't see it happening. So, But, you know, Tom Brady is looking and is <laughs> probably going to become a part owner of the Las Vegas Raiders. Right. Everybody talks about that rift. What if Belichick went to coach the Raiders mm -hmm. and Brady's the owner? Now suddenly you got to look at it go, yes, I get Brady's stance of, look, I want to show I can win this on my by myself, and I want to prove that I am the greatest quarterback of all time, which I believe he has done. But – wouldn't it be awesome to yes. see Belichick come coach the Raiders with Tom Brady as an owner, which you got to believe he's got to sign off on it and make that happen. And suddenly everybody goes, oh, maybe the Belichick Brady thing wasn't as bad as the media made it out to be. Maybe there really is a lot of respect between the two that the media just doesn't want to admit. So for me, that would be the wonderful story and the big headliner in a splashy city of Las Vegas, Belichick to the Raiders. Let's bring it on. Great story, and especially the first time the Raiders played the Patriots. The whole story will, will come back around. By the way, speaking of the Raiders, they had played one of the most boring Sunday night football games in history. They beat the Jets 16-12. to 12. It was all field goals. I tried to talk you into this on Monday for, for Raider fans, it, it, and you said no. There's no hope. The Raiders, they're rejuvenated with Josh McDaniels gone. They look better. They they seem to be better. They're they're but they're still a mess. And no Raider fans, even though you're five and five, don't get your hopes up for the postseason. They do have a couple of tough games. They've got the Dolphins this weekend, and then the Chiefs. Uh, then they then they've got the Vikings and the Chargers, and and then the Chiefs again. So when I looked at the schedule more, I went, yeah, he's probably right. Is there? But is there? Is there? Mine is the dream of Belichick and all that. Where where should Raider fans be? Happy that uh, Josh McDaniel's gone. You know, he costs you your season. Look, let's get through it. Let's have a decent finish to this. Antonio Pierce might be the answer. I mean, he's won two games. Let's see what he can do now that the schedule has gotten a lot tougher. But we knew the Raiders were going into the soft part of their schedule for like the last five games or so. They're at 500. But just be thankful of nothing else. Cling to Josh McDaniels, no longer our head coach. And we now have a shot to build, grow, and hopefully become a competitive team in the NFL. And you just got to hope that Mark Davis, and I get to ownership, mm. is so big for all of these different teams. For you to really be a quality team, you have to have a quality owner. And Mark Davis, to this point, hasn't been able to show that he can hire a quality coach to lead this team. I mean, what have they had? 12, 13 coaches in the last, like, 23 years. It's not a way to run a franchise. Find a guy who knows what he's doing, stick to him, and hopefully the Raiders can turn it around. They can make a great hire, and they will become the Raiders that we all knew through the 60s, 70s, and 80s and into the 90s that, you know, if you're a Raider fan, you just want to be, you know, competitive again. It, it, we both uh, and a lot of other people slowed our roll on Miami Dolphins uh, a few weeks ago, and they're, they're at home. They're hosting the Raiders. 
if the Raiders went into Miami, I mean, it's a huge story if they win. And then you really start to wonder what's going on with, with that franchise and with the new head coach. Even if they're just competitive, it might be uh, a pretty pretty good story. And I don't know what to make of the Dolphins. They're in that list with me with the Bills and a few other teams. I, I just can't buy back into Miami. I, I, I hear where you're going with that. One, the Dolphins are a 13-and-a-half-point favorite Woo! over the Raiders. So uh, obviously, you know, the Lions makers are not, thinking this game's going to be competitive in any way. Miami's offense can score on anyone. They have so much speed. They're they're probably the fastest offense in the league, but we've said it all year. Their defense isn't very good. So if a team can come in, control the time of possession, keep their offense on the sideline, it's just like the Chiefs. That's how you can win the game. I just don't think the Raiders' defense is good enough. I think Tua's going to find a way. Nobody on the Raiders can cover Tyreek Hill or Waddle. I think the Dolphins, it's time for them to make a statement again. They need a big win here, an impressive win to get people putting them on the radar again. You know, I, I've seen power rankings that don't even have the Dolphins in the top 10 anymore. So obviously they need to make a statement. You know, you roll back to week four, and I think they were number one in power rankings and most power rankings. So they've really fallen on hardened times. And, and to me, this is a statement game. The Dolphins need to go out hang 40-plus on the Raiders, and show that they actually are a pretty good team. So a team that needed the, the statement game last weekend uh, was the 49ers. They lost three in a row. They were banged up. They had a week off. Then they had to travel to Jacksonville. Uh, I say Jacksonville's a playoff team. They're not an elite team. Uh, they're, they're better than most people give them credit for, but we're starting to learn that. Uh, and that wasn't even a game. Uh, Niners go 34-3. to Look like the 49ers of the first few weeks. Um, it, it, I don't, is that enough to make everybody go, okay, all right. The, the, the three games in a row lost, uh, that was an anomaly. And now the Niners are back. I think the Niners showed that when they're healthy, they are clearly the best team in the NFL. Uh, that was my best bet of the week last week. I love the Niners in that spot. You know, I know they were going on the road into Jacksonville, but just get them healthy. They are clearly the best team in the NFL. We saw that. And, and Jacksonville's a, you know, they're like a 9, 10, 11 team in, in the NFL. They're not a bad team. They're going to make the playoffs. They may win a playoff game, so it's not like they're a bad team. And the 49ers went in there, destroyed them, and just showed that they are the team that we saw early on in the season. And again, as long as the 49ers stay healthy, I just don't see anyone beating them. Now, the Niners host Tampa Bay this weekend. Um, and then next week, they have to go to Seattle. And Seattle, not only rivals, division rivals, better than most people expected this, uh, this year. So this, to me, is, again, one of those potential trap games where the Niners are looking past the Buccaneers who, meh, Breaker Mayfield, they're 4-5, and five, um, and they can't do that. No, no, they, they can't do that. You Look, right now the 49ers are a 12-point favorite, so this really falls <laughs> into that trap game. They're viewing it as the 49ers have to roll them. Tampa Bay's got a good defense, not much on offense. So if you look at that going, the Bucs don't have a whole lot on offense going up against this 49ers defense that now with Chase Young to go with Bosa to go with everyone else on that defensive line, Mayfield's not going to have any time to throw the ball. But are the 49ers really going to go out and roll them? They should because they lost three straight. They had a big win last week, and they need that momentum going into the Seahawks. But this is one of those trap games. I can easily see the 49ers 
overlooking Tampa Bay, preparing for Seattle, because anybody who thinks they're not even looking at Seattle, I, I think is wrong. Human nature is that's their season. If they lose to the Buccaneers, it doesn't do a whole lot to their season. They lose to the Seattle Seahawks. It does do a lot to the standings and their ability to win that division. So to me, I think it has the potential for a trap game. That that would be something I would look at, you know, maybe a tease the Buccaneers up to, you know, 18 points. So I get the 17 on that teaser and look at them because I do think the 49ers have the ability to roll them. I, I just, this is that trap game that Niners can win by 10, dominate this game and just walk out, run the clock out the second half and just not continue to play at 100%. The other perfect storm of it being a trap game is not only do they play Seattle the, the, the following week, they play them on Thursday night. So they lose three days to prepare for them, which may be having them prepare sooner and going, hey, okay, Tampa Bay. The other part of it is the following week is when the Niners go to Philadelphia and have to play the Eagles. And those are the two marquee big matchups that come right after this. And I just wonder if they if – they, they, I don't believe they will. Uh, you know, they're a very talented team, very disciplined, but that is that is the scary part, quote, quote, as a Niner fan, of of where their heads might be. Absolutely. I think the 49ers win, but but games like that, because of the trap, these are games that I throw out. So I won't even consider this Buccaneer 49ers game when I'm handicapping just because of that fear. I would have been looking at, let's say the 49ers have gone 3-0 versus 0-3 in those that stretch. This is a game I would have been really looking at playing the Buccaneers because of that letdown game, because of what the 49ers have coming up. But the fact that they lost those three games and they're trying to reestablish themselves as the best team in the NFL, that's where I can't take the Buccaneers in this spot because the, the 49ers can name the final score. I, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. They, they can choose to win this game 17 to 10. They can choose to win this game 48 to three. I, I think it's just what they choose to do. And you, you need to come out of this game healthy. That's the other part. You don't want to be doing anything that runs a risk. So I think they're going to be playing it a little bit conservative, knowing they can win it. And I do believe they're preparing for the Thursday night game against the Seahawks. So week 10 starts tomorrow night with a great matchup on paper of the uh, Bengals at the Ravens. And then it ends with the matchup of the weekend, Monday night football. Uh, what a score for ESPN. It's a Super Bowl rematch. Uh, the uh, the Kelsey brothers are facing off uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, are at the, uh, the the Kansas City Chiefs, and uh, th this is this is a big one, Steve. Yeah, it is. I'm excited about this game. Right now, the Chiefs are a two and a half point favorite. To me, this is just who do you think is going to win the game? The two and a half points probably isn't even a, a and a you know factor in it. If you like the Chiefs, you lay the two and a half. If you like the Eagles, you just take the Eagles on the money line to win the game, and that's how the betting is going to flow on this game. I just the the Eagles are really talent. I just haven't been sold on them. I just don't think their offense has been in sync the entire season long and going into Kansas city is a tough, tough place to win. So I like the chiefs a little bit in this game. I got to see how it plays out and how the line moves, you know, for me to look at the Eagles, I would probably want, I, I need the three to even consider the Eagles. Uh, but you know, if you can give me the Eagles plus three, I would be tempted to look at the Eagles. I, I just, as a fan, really hope that this is just a great game. You know, it's going to come down to a field goal either way. You know, if it gets to 
three on the Eagles, you might want to look at teasing them up to 10 and just say, hey, look, let's just keep the game close. We may not win, but I don't think the Eagles are going to lose by more than 10. So, you know, a lot of different ways to look at betting on a game like this. But as a fan, what a way. Hopefully it's a great game. It's a one-score game. I'm hoping it comes down to a score late, like another field goal, you know, in the final minute of the game to determine the winner. And uh, those are the games I like. So uh, as long as we're talking sports betting, we got a few emails here, uh, RED at radradio.com. And Dimitri wrote in and said, how does Steve pick a game winner with two terrible teams, even with a three-point spread? For, and he had a couple of examples, like a couple weeks ago when it's like the Panthers and the Bears or – he this weekend he thinks that the the Packers and Chargers he's already got them as terrible teams. Or how what, do you have a formula for how you do it, or do you just stay away from them? What what goes, what goes into those matchups? Well, well, it depends. If it's a case of both teams are just really bad, and you're not sure either team really wants to win because they're playing for a draft pick, those are games I'll stay away from. But you look at it, and in this situation, I don't think the Packers are very good. The Chargers are a three point favorite. But I think the Chargers are playing for their head coach's job. I, I think the Chargers are extremely motivated. I believe their front office and their team still believes they are a playoff team. I don't believe anyone in Green Bay has playoff aspirations. I think their season <laughs> is over. They know this. And so when you have one team that I feel is going to play as a, you know, their season rides on this game, Versus another team that, yeah, our season's over, doesn't really mean anything. Those are the two bad teams that I like to play, and I like to take the team that I feel has a lot of incentive to win. So in this spot, I've already said the Chargers are going to be one of my plays. I think it's going to – I don't know if it'll be my best play of the weekend, but I can already tell you, Chargers minus three, you can chalk that up, and that's one I will be posting. So that's the that's the the, the starting point for you with two quote-unquote bad teams is is at least one of them motivated, and then you start to analyze the team. So what it, what did you do with, exactly. with the uh, – what did you do with the Panthers and the Bears last Thursday? Thursday? Last Thursday, uh, you know, I was looking at it as – God, I just am not sold that the Panthers are any good. <laughs> and not that the Bears are either, but home games, short week, Bears aren't traveling. So I'll tend to lean towards the home team on Thursday night games for those reasons because I'm not a big fan. I, as a fan, I'm a, I love the Thursday night game. It gives me another game. But looking at it as a whole, I don't think the NFL should be playing Thursday night games. They're doing it for the money. It's all about the money. Anybody who thinks differently is highly mistaken because you hear stories that on Monday mornings, these players, you know, quarterbacks and running backs, receivers, they can't even get out of bed. Yeah. Their bodies hurt so much. And yet you're going to make them play in four days, another game, just like that. I, I just, I don't think it's fair to the players and their bodies you know, you're not giving them time to recoup. I'm not a doctor. I could be totally wrong in all of this. Just looking at it as, you know, I'm up there in age. When I go work all day in the yard and dig and do all these things, and then next morning, my body hurts. I can't even imagine 300-pound linemen tackling me and landing on me. You know, so you got to believe their bodies hurt and to make them come back in such a short turnaround. So I'll always look at the Thursday night, the home team, and then find out if it's a divisional game or anything like that. And then you get into the, 
as one team needed a lot more than the others or more motivation for a team. And, and then, you know, you just get into trends. Uh, another one on sports betting. Uh, and this one goes to something you've been talking about for years. And boy, are we seeing parody in the NFL this, this year. I mean, every weekend, this, this past weekend was almost absurd, but th this, the, this season, there was at least a couple every time of like, how did that happen? And you always say parody in the NFL. And so this is the way Adam looks at it. Steve, it seems like the public and the pros are about 50-50 this year, especially when you consider the highest bet teams each week. The pros tend to prevail at the end of the year. But do you think parody in the league is bringing the betting public closer to the pro betters this year, especially with so many three-point or less wins this year? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I I, I believe that through the course of everything, you, you know, you have your best teams, but when you throw the spread in it, it's going to even out. If you, you go 10 and seven, 11 and six against the spread, you've had a really good season. Uh, and man, you just, you see these games and these teams should win by a lot more and they just don't. The, the thing that's gotten me over the last few weeks is, the public's been right on a lot of these afternoon games. We've watched it and, oh, the Cowboys are going to win. The 49ers are going to win. And, and the morning games have been much more of a mix. But to me, the last three weeks or so, those favorites and those public teams in the afternoon games have been coming in like clockwork. And, uh, you know, the, the public's definitely been right on it. But overall, uh, you know, if you – the the road teams, the home teams, the favorites, the dogs, they're all going to seem to be in that 54, 53%. So it's kind of, you know, you got to pick your spots. You can't be playing them all because it's too hard to handicap, but uh, it's, it's gotten a lot more difficult because there is so much more parity. You know, I've been doing this for 30 years and the games now that come down to just the last field goal. And I think the NFL has a lot to do with it. And, you know, I could take us down a rabbit hole because I, the commanders, case in point, commanders last week, key, key third down play, running back takes it. And, and if anybody was watching that game, takes it, dives for the first down yard marker, you see it, you see the sideline view from the marker, and he goes right over it. Then they go and they mark the ball a yard and a half short. They yeah. put them in a fourth down. Yes, the commanders were able to overcome that, but. Man, now with all the angles and everything we see, and this is my bitch with sports, and it's why baseball, I love baseball. I think baseball was much better to watch this year, but get the strike zone off my TV and don't let me know when they've blown calls because I become irritated, which is why five, six years ago, I was never for using technology. I am so for it now because if you're going to show me I believe every fan, every player, every coach in the world just wants the calls to be correct. But the problem is we see so many calls now that are wrong, are bad calls, should have been holding, wasn't holding, should have been defensive holding, but they call pass interference, even though really after seven yards off the ball, nobody touched them. That's becoming my gripe with games watching is there's so many calls that affect the outcome. And I think the NFL wants those games to be close. And I think the NFL is somewhat using these to keep the parity, to keep the games close, to give everyone a shot. 
and that irritates me. I'll be honest with you. That irritates me. <laughs> uh, a week from today, Steve, big uh, double work day for you. Usually we have Steve on the regular uh, Rad Radio show on Mondays and Fridays during uh, football season, but uh, there is no Friday next week. It's the day after Thanksgiving. So uh, he'll be on Monday with us, as always. We'll, we'll review briefly. Nothing like what we do here on the on the Mixed Picks podcast, the, the events of Week 10, get ready for Monday Night Football. And then he'll be right back with us on Wednesday so we can go over the Thanksgiving games uh, and any big games from the weekend. And then, yes, we will be here on Thanksgiving Eve to really dive in uh, to the uh, the Thanksgiving games and uh, all the big games of the weekend. So uh, thank you for another great podcast, Steve. Uh, we're going to talk to you on Monday on radradio.com, and we'll be back here a week from today for the Mixed Picks podcast. Thank you. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Yes. It's out of here! Yes.